And if you have your Bible, I hope you've turned to Ephesians 4, as I've, I've asked you to, because I stated last week that many of you would be glad when we got to chapter 4, because starting in chapter 4, we clearly move from a more theological perspective to very practical, all right? Paul, in this letter, he has laid the groundwork for our faith, sharing that through faith in Jesus Christ, one goes from death to life. He has shared how the gospel is for everyone who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what their background is. The gospel is for all who would believe. We also saw even last week that what what God wants us to do and what he can do for us is help us to understand his love more fully, that we can go more deep into his love. And all those truths have very practical application to our lives, but in one sense, they also remain a mystery, right? But today... What Paul begins to share will have some clear direction, and it will be easier to judge when we have succeeded in fulfilling these words. Specifically today, we will be able to understand how we can mature in our faith. Now, for me, I'm in stage of that life where people ask me, well, how does it feel? All right. All right, now you say, what, feel about what? Well, maybe you think at my age, they ask you, how does it feel to be as old as you are, Right? But that's not what they ask me, all right? But here's what they do ask me, because Kim and I are in a place where our last child has moved out of the house and, 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 you know, gotten on their own home. People ask us all the time, well, how does it feel to be an empty nester? They ask me that. Well, my response to them is this, it feels great. (laughs) That's what I tell them. I said, it feels great. And honestly, I do say that. I want you to misunderstand me because of this. I I love my kids. I love having them at the house. They are not a trouble when they live with us. And there are times I even miss them being there. However, as a parent, it feels good to know that you have raised your children to where now they are independent adults with their own homes, establishing their own families. I mean, it is great to be able to say that you've raised your children to be mature adults who are contributing to society and who are making a difference in the world. I mean, isn't that the goal of every parent? It is, right? I mean, it should be. I cannot, cannot imagine any parent here this morning who'd be excited about having a 29-year-old living in their basement playing video games all day. There's no takers on that one, right? I, I, I don't think so. No, that, that's not our goal. The goal of every parent is to raise their children to maturity so that they have their own families and, and hopefully give you some grandkids, right? Which I have two, by the way. Y'all know that, right? I have two. And that's good. We're, we're waiting for more. Bring them on, kids. All right, we're ready. All right. As, as we think about this familial example, it gives us some insight into what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He gives them a goal. And the goal for the church, you ready? Here's the goal for the church. The goal for the church is maturity, All right, maturity. Look, look at what Paul writes uh, beginning in verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, here's what I'm doing today. I'm really starting at the end, and then we'll go back, all right, and make our way up to this point. But clearly, here what Paul is giving in these verses is the goal. 
Really, what God wants for every believer is this. He wants us to mature. As it says in verse 13, to get to the place where we're to the mature manhood, or I could add today up to the mature womanhood. In either case, you should clearly understand what his desire is. It's maturity. And why? Here's why. Because being immature is not a good thing. Right? I mean, if someone looks at you and says, you are so immature, are you going to take that as a compliment? No, if you do, it just tells me you're immature, right? <laughs> if, so, if you take it as a compliment that we've got a problem, it shows your immaturity. No one, really, no one wants to be called immature. And Paul wanted these believers to grow to maturity, and he had good reason. In verse 14, he made it clear that he wanted them to mature so that we will, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, if you see a toddler beginning to walk, you know at first they're a little bit unstable, right? Our grandson Isaac has just begun walking, and though he has caught on pretty quickly, you can still see at times, I mean, there's just that little instability when they walk, right? And then occasionally, I mean, he's going to go down, right, because he's still learning. There's going to be a time as he gets bigger and he practices. I mean, he's going to be running. He'll even be jumping at some point in time as he, as he walks. But there's going to be increased stability as he continues to mature in life. And what Paul wanted this is for these believers is stability to be in their lives, not in their walking or in their running, but in their faith and what they believed. He knows this, that if a person doesn't mature, they will be tossed around and be unstable, that they can be easily influenced by false teaching and guidance that will take them away from God rather than closer to God. If we use this analogy of being immature people, just think about how when one is young, their minds are easily changed. I mean, give a child a toy and it's their favorite toy, right? But then they see the commercial for their neck toy and now that's the new toy they want to be their favorite, right? Or today, maybe a child looks and they declare today, blue is my favorite color, only tomorrow to declare that red is their favorite color, right? As toddlers grow, they can grow into the stage where friends can radically influence likes and dislikes. The influence of friends can be seen for many years, even as many teenagers follow the lead of their friends, often into things that are unharmful, though I would make this point. Friends can also influence their friends into positive things, right? But we are easily influenced, right? The point, though, is this. The less mature we are, the more that we can be unstable and influenced in negative ways. This immaturity can be seen in our spiritual lives, and it has nothing to do with our age, what Paul wanted believers to do is grow beyond immaturity because if not, believers would be tossed by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Especially in our current culture when information is so easily spread through podcast or through Facebook or through Instagram, on television screens, on computers, including video games. If a believer is not careful, he or she can easily be led astray. Many believers have been lured away by the prosperity gospel where they are told this, if you send us money, you'll receive a financial blessing or physical healing as a result, all right? M many believers have been lured to false doctrine in regards to the Trinity, either believing that there are multiple gods or be not believing or not accepting the divinity of Jesus Christ. Others have been led away to follow a different Christ where Jesus is viewed as simply a great teacher or a prophet, but not a savior. Some have bought into a Christless gospel, which I'm going to go ahead and tell you is no gospel at all. And I could go on and on this morning. But if one is not careful and fails to mature in their spiritual life, it's easy to be led astray to false doctrine 
or even away from the faith entirely. For adults, it can be entertaining at times to watch little children in their clueless periods of life, can it not? And it'd be fun. I mean, they're easily tricked, and because of that, adults, sometimes we, we'll enjoy playing tricks on kids and laughing at them. Y'all have done that. Every one of us have done that, right? Because it's kind of fun to watch a child in their immature state. Children live their life sometimes in a state of bliss, not knowing what they don't know and therefore easily led astray. So as adults watching these children, it can be entertaining at times. But let me say this. It's not fun watching adults live that way. As Chuck Swindoll said, I can't think of anything more tragic than adults who live clueless lives, especially those longtime believers who ought to be teachers but need somebody to teach them the elementary principles of the Christian faith. Truly, it is not enjoyable to see an adult who is easily tricked, easily led astray, who lives a clueless life. You see, here's what the word that God has for some listening here this morning. The word that he has for some is grow up. Okay, grow up. Don't remain stagnant in your faith. Study God's word. Learn his truth. Be plugged into the church where you can learn about and exercise your faith. Be a part of a life group or a D group where you can connect with others who help you grow, who keep you accountable, who encourage you when you struggle, who do life and ministry with you. Some aspects of the Christian growth will be organic as you live out the Christian life, but other aspects will happen only as you intentionally decide, I'm going to put in the effort that I need to grow. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be involved in a small group. And you say, I am going to grow. All right. Does that make sense? Now, as you pursue this growth, you need to understand this, that proper Christian growth will happen in the context of truth and love. Look at verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You see, if you're going to grow properly, you need both truth and love. As we consider what this means, I want you to look at that phrase translated speaking the truth, because that's probably not the best way to translate the original Greek. For that phrase in the Greek is only one word. The word is aletheou, oh, something like that. That's close, all right? It's close, something like that. I'm not fluent in my Greek this morning. And it means this. It means truthful. Now, so it makes sense that we might translate that speaking truth, but here's what I want you to know. It carries the idea of more than just speaking truth. It means maintaining, living, and doing truth. In a couple places that I looked this week, they translated it as truthing. Truthing. Is, is that even a word? I don't know, all right? Our English people can tell us. Is that a word or not? I don't know. But that's how they would say, let's translate it. It is truthing. It is more than, than what we speak. It is about being truthful in all aspects of living. So we are truthing in love. This reminds us that we need both truth and love working hand in hand in our lives. And here's what I often see in our world today. Christians have a tendency to gravitate towards one or the other. There are those who are so determined to live by truth and to defend it at all costs that they forget to love. Therefore, they are quick to point out something that they think is a heresy or a sin, and they get excited to address it. They really seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight as they seek to defend truth. In the process, what they often forget about is people and they don't care who they hurt as, they, as long as they are defending truth. 
One example of this is when people protest something that they see as sin and they hold up posters that say God hates and then they fill in the blank with a name of a particular kind of sinner. Now, on the other side are those who are determined at all costs to show love to people and they seem to be so loving to the point that they will actually sacrifice the central truths of the faith and things that are clearly taught in Scripture. These people never want to call anything sin or or wrong and want people to live life however they want. I'm here to tell you, neither side is right. Okay, neither side is right. I came across this statement in my studies this week, and I saw it in three different places in my study. And I thought, well, if I've seen it that many times, God must want me to share it with the congregation. So I'm going to give it to you this morning. Listen to, to this statement. It says, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. I want you to think about that statement. Let that sink in this morning and what it means. It is a very powerful statement. But in reality, standing for truth should never mean we fail to love people who are struggling. And loving struggling people should never mean we fail to stand on truth and to live by it. You see, most certainly, if one is going to grow to maturity, both truth and love will be present. Therefore, as a church, we must make it our goal to be a place that unashamedly teaches God's unchanging truth while we love people in the midst of the most difficult struggles in order that we might connect them to a loving God who can change the course of their life, right? I'll even say this, even doing this properly will require us to mature in our faith. Now, as we think about this maturity that we are challenged to have, some of you may ask the question, well, Brother Scott, how will I know when I've reached full maturity? Well, let's consider this, that the standard of full maturity is Jesus Christ. All right, look at verse 13 again. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, what is very clear in these verses is the goal is to be like Jesus Christ. We are to grow into his character, grow to love as he loved, to minister as he ministered, to serve as he served, to teach as he taught, to sacrifice as he sacrificed, and so much more. Now, as I say this, I need to point out something, that there is a way that this maturity that we are called to is a corporate thing. In verse 13, Paul did say, until we all attain the unity of the faith. So we must consider that in part, the maturity that we are being called to is a maturity within the body of Christ. That is surely part of what we are called to be here because Paul is speaking to the church and ultimately what we are called to accomplish, hear me, can only happen through the church. The church should be a priority in your life because it is through the church that we obtain both a corporate and an individual maturity. In either case, what we must understand is that the standard of our maturity is Jesus. You know, as a church, hear me, we're not trying to be like the church down the street or the one that gets the headlines as the fastest growing church. We are to be like Christ, right? When it comes to your life individually, you are trying to be like Christ, You know, I've had a few people, very few people in life who've looked at me and said, when I grow up, I want to be like you. When they say that, you know what I tell them? I look back at them and I say this. I said, you better set your sights much higher than me, right? Because I look at my life and here's what I know about my life. I I fall so far short of what God wants me to be. I I fail to live up to God's standards in so many ways for a person to to be like me. If they make it their go, they're going to fall far short of God's standards, 
You see, the goal we should all have is to know more of Jesus Christ and then to strive to be like him. And here's what that goal tells us. Since no one here yet is perfect like Jesus, right? None of you are here, that right? It says that when Paul is writing here, it's something we all need to hear. We all need to hear this and we all need to apply it to our lives. In fact, as long as we live on the earth, we should have the goal of maturing in our faith and becoming more and more like Jesus, right? Now, with all this said, let's back up because I said I started at the end, which I did. So it should be clear that our goal is to be mature and to become more like Jesus. Now, what I want us to do now is go back and ask, now, how, how do I, 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 now, I, now that I know the goal, how do I get there? I want us to look briefly at three things we're called to do in order to reach this maturity, both as a church and as an individual Christian. The first one is this, we are called to walk worthy. Let's go back now and look at verse one of chapter four where Paul writes this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You know, I pointed this out before, but anytime you see a therefore, you have to remember that what is getting ready to be said hinges on what has come before. We saw where in the first three chapters, Paul laid the groundwork for our faith because we've been saved, therefore, because the gospel is for everyone, therefore, because that we can know the love of God more fully, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, what is this calling? The calling is to faith in Jesus Christ. And because we've been called by God into faith and into a relationship with Jesus, we need to walk in a manner that's worthy of walking in a relationship with God. Now, I believe we all understand this, right? That the worth we place on something dictates the way we act. Can we agree? Would you agree? Yes or no? If not, let me try to help you this morning, all right? Uh, I'm going to show you a picture this morning. What if I came up to you and said, I'm going to offer you a choice. I'm going to offer you a choice of a Ford Pinto, all right, or a Corvette Stingray, all right? Now, you see that, uh, this, is, this is the honest truth this morning. See that orange Pinto? My grandfather had that exact car. I never wanted to ride with him, never. Who wants to ride in an orange Pinto? Not this guy, right? Never wanted to ride in an orange Pinto. I thought, oh, I hope nobody sees me. I'm riding in this orange Pinto. All right, anyway, this back, back. Let me get back on track, all right? I think the clear choice for you this morning would be the Corvette, unless you have some strange affinity with a Ford Pinto, which if that's you, we need to talk afterwards, all right? We've got deeper issues this morning, all right? All right now, not only would you choose the Corvette, you would treat it differently than you would the Pinto, all right, if you had the Pinto, you probably wouldn't worry so much about whether you're going to wreck it or not. I mean, the cost to replace it wouldn't be that much, right? I mean, you probably wouldn't care if it got stolen. I mean, you wouldn't care about it scratch. Not, not a big deal, right? It's just a Ford Pinto. Who really cares, right? Now, on the other hand, the Corvette Stingray. You, you'd be careful not to get in a wreck, right? I've got to be careful. Don't want to wreck my, my Stingray. You'd probably park in the parking lot, you know, where it's less apt to be dung by, uh, get, get a ding by a, a, a cart, right? That says car, it's out in the middle of nowhere, right? And everybody else is over there and we're parked out and nobody else around it, right? That's how it is, all right? It, 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 I mean, if you saw a scratch on it, you might freak out. Oh no, there's a scratch on my stingray, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And if it got stolen, 
oh no, there's no way the insurance company is going to pay me enough to replace it. Y'all with me, right? There's no doubt the worth that we place on something matters. Shake your head this way. Yes. In fact, I would say the only way you wouldn't treat the Pinto differently than a Corvette is if you were not mature enough to understand the value difference or if you were wealthy enough that cost didn't matter to you, right? Yes, right. Now, why do I share this illustration? Because, hear me, understanding your worth in Jesus is important since knowing your worth should give you the desire to live for him. Think about how worthy you are to God this morning. Think about how worthy you are, all right? You're worthy enough that Jesus died for you. That tells me this, that your life is of infinite worth and you need to treat it that way, all right? If you are worthy enough for Jesus to die for you, do you think you should value your life? Yes, not only that, all right, you should live your life in a way that shows your value to God. Also, the life that Jesus provides for you, hear me, the life that Jesus provides for you is infinitely greater, infinitely greater than life without him. And if you know that truth, should that not cause you to live differently? It should. I mean, if I know living life without Jesus offers me heartache and pain and no hope and no joy, no inheritance, no future, but life with Christ on the other hand offers me hope, joy, peace, eternal life, and an inheritance in heaven and much more, why would I choose the lesser? Does that make sense? I mean, why would I choose a life without Christ when I understand living life with Christ is so much better? What Paul simply wants a believer to do is recognize your worth in Jesus and the life that he offers to those who follow him and then to live according to that worth. Live a life worthy of what Jesus offers. You see, being mature, is being able to discern what is truly best and choosing it. In this case, seeing that the life Jesus offers is better than any other life or course of life and then walking in the life he offers. And here's the benefit. The more you walk in that life, the more you mature to be who God wants you to be, the more it becomes who you are. And if you say, what does that look like? Well, here's in part what it looks like. Look at the next verse because he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, if you live a life worthy of Christ, these are going to be a few of the characteristics that are in your life, especially within the context of a church. And if you look at this list as not very long, just take a moment and think about how much you actually struggle with each one, how, how much you struggle with true humility, whether where, where, where this is the case, where you think others are better than yourself in a healthy way. Is that hard? Y'all out there this morning? All right. Or, or, or think about how much we struggle with being gentle, especially when people are harsh to you. Think about how much we struggle with patience. I mean, we all struggle in different ways with this one, do we not? Being patient. If I keep this realm of dealing with people, we truly struggle to be patient with people who are rude, who are walking in sin, who are lazy, who are any number of things, not like me. All right. And bearing with one another in love, again, especially in our day. We do not bear with others. We simply criticize them, then ostracize those who don't agree with me, right? I can assure you that's not God's way, and it's not the best way to live. Think about how all religions try to claim Jesus, even many who do not recognize him as Savior. Why is that? Because Jesus characterized all these things to the point that people were attracted to him no matter who they were or what they had done. 
Living life characterized with these traits is the best way to live in part because living a life worthy of your calling leads to the next thing you do to reach maturity, which is pursue unity. Look at what Paul wrote again, beginning back in verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and all, and, and, and all in all. I think we sang something about that a while ago, right? A little bit. Here we are specifically challenged to pursue unity. It may have been better for me to have stated this point as maintain because that's the word used in the scripture and maintain recognizes the fact of this, that the unity that we need is actually something that the Holy Spirit provides. Unity, as we alluded to, is really not a natural state for us. We are more apt to lean toward division. But the Holy Spirit provides us unity. As we are told here in Christ, we are one. There is one body of believers, one spirit who unites us, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And being united with other believers is a part of what it means to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Yet in the flesh, we struggle. And so we are called to maintain it. We are called, as I am calling it, to pursue it. We should make unity, especially in the body of Christ, a priority. Now, I've mentioned several times over the last few weeks and even today, in our culture, we don't seek unity. We cut off those we disagree with. In the church, we either just avoid that person or more commonly today, when we don't see eye to eye with someone else in the church, we simply leave and go to another church. I mean, it's why in our day and time, so many people go from church to church to church. Some people leave church for legitimate reasons. Others leave simply because they cannot get along with others. But let me tell you why God wants us to pursue unity besides the fact that it is a witness to the world. Are you ready? We need others in our lives who are different than us. Right? That may sound strange, but it's true. Think about what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I assume you understand the concept here is that two pieces of iron, right, can sharpen each other through friction as the edges come together. Through what? Through friction. If you apply this to people, it means We can sharpen each other through our differences. We need people who even see things differently in order to help us grow. Think about this. If you never have someone in your life who challenges the way you think about something or the way you do something, you may never take the time to consider if what you you think or do is truly right. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we need to be challenged. Being challenged makes one search, it makes them study, and makes them learn, which ultimately helps them mature. It may cause you to grow deeper in your current stance. You might say, oh, I realize I am right. And so, man, I'm going to be more solid in what I believe. So you grow deeper in that stance or that practice, or it might cause you to change because you discovered that what you thought or what you were doing was wrong. Right? And so you say, oh, I've got to change because now I realize what I thought was wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. This friction with another can be good if handled correctly. Now, maybe you are thinking, well, I I thought the point you're discussing is unity, and it is. But as we've said before, unity does not mean uniformity. 
Yes, unity does mean being together, but what we need to do is learn the value of being together with those who sharpen us so that together we mature in our faith. Pursue unity in spite of differences. Now, I know it's been pointed out before, but if you look at the disciples that Jesus surrounded himself with, they were so different in their personalities and even their political persuasions, yet Jesus looked at these different men and he said to them, all right, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love one for another. I mean, that's what Jesus told them. And my guess is this. When you think about the disciples, you don't think about their differences, do you? Do you think about it? No. I mean, how many times do you really stop and think, well, you know what? Simon, that Simon, zealot, Simon, he was a zealot, which means this. I mean, he was anti-Roman, right? He was t- totally against the Roman government. But then you had Matthew, the Levi, Matthew, who was a tax collector, who, who that means, you know what? He partnered with the Roman government. How many times is that your thought? No. You don't think about that. Yet they were both disciples of Jesus Christ. And why don't you think about it? Because of this. Here's why you don't think about it. Because they were both so committed, number one, to following Jesus Christ and his will that their differences in philosophy didn't matter because the most important thing was following Jesus. You hear me? What God desires for his people today from diverse backgrounds is to be united under the gospel, sharpening one another, helping each other grow in their knowledge of and their love for Jesus so that they work together in sharing the gospel, which takes us to the third thing that you do in order to mature. It's this. You do ministry. All right. Look at the rest of these verses in this section, verses 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And look at this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Now, here's where I have to be real careful this morning because I'll be honest with you. These verses, I could preach another whole sermon, and I don't think you want a two-for-one today, right? I don't think you want. So i I got to be careful. I'm just going to give you a big overview of these verses and how they apply to today's message. But here's what's clear. God gives every believer at least one gift to use in ministry for him and to build up the church. That's made clear when Paul wrote specifically in verse 7 to each one of us. Hear me. There is not a single believer that has not been given some gift to use for ministry. Sometimes that gift goes along with the talent that you have in life, but but not always. Sometimes the gift that God gives you is different than what you might consider. This is who I naturally am, and you might consider your talent. I've told you all many times before, what I do on a Sunday morning in preaching to you, it's not who I am naturally. This is not a talent that I have in life. I'm not a good speaker. I don't like being in front of people. That's not who I am naturally. But for some reason, God said, Scott, I'm going to give you the gift. I'm going to let you preach for me. And he called me to do that. So it's outside of what I would call my talent. Okay. But sometimes, again, God's going to give you a gift to use that goes right along with your talent. The issue is this. All right, are you using it for his glory? Whether you consider it a talent or not, but it's a gift you say, but I'm using this for God. The reality is that there are some things that we will only get done, hear me, that we even as a church will only get done if you do them. If you do them. There's only some people in this world that will be reached, hear me, if you reach them. You got it? 
God's got that out there for you to do. Notice Paul did mention a few specific gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. I think this is a bad way to label these, but these are often the positions that we consider professional ministers. All right, these are at least those who have recognized to have a special calling to these positions of leadership in the church. However, here's where we make the mistake in the church of today. What we mistake is their, what their role is. In a modern-day church, we see the professional ministers, ready, as the ones who do the ministry. But look again at what Paul said their roles were in verse 12. It's to equip the saints to do what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Their roles, according to the scripture, is not to do ministry, but to equip others so they can do the ministry. See, in the modern day church, we view things incorrectly. Many people, here's what we want to do in our day. We want to pay ministers to do the ministry while they sit back and enjoy what's going on. Right? Y'all can say amen or owe me to that. I don't care whichever, right? But that's how we do it. The late Dr. Howard Hendricks, who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for over 50 years, used to say this. The church is too much like a football game. 50,000 people in the stands, desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people on the field, desperately in need of rest. <laughs> I figured since we were only one week past the Super Bowl, I could use that illustration, right? But it's relevant, is it not? Here's the reality. Too many people are watching ministry, some cheering, some jeering, seeking to be entertained when they should instead be a part of the game, helping the church complete its task and win the game, helping the church share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. With that said, let me give you two real important reasons why you should do ministry. A, the full ministry of the church can only be realized if everyone does his or her part. It is most definitely true that only when everyone is doing his or her part that the church can reach its full maturity and be all that it can be. As you use your gift as part of the church's ministry, you are helping to build up the body of Christ. The God says verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from, look at this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by what? Every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Every part of the body is important. In fact, why don't you do this? Let's do this. It's not in my notes, so I'm just going to add this, right? Say this. I'm important to the body. All right? One more time. I'm important. You're important, right? Because the Bible says it's every ligament, every joint, everything is important. And if just one part is failing to, to do its part, the body aches and it fails to do all to, that it can do. It, 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 it cannot be all that's called to be if everyone's not doing their part. So your ministry is important, all right? Then B, look at this. You learn and mature in the process of ministering. Here's what some people fail to realize when they do not get involved in ministry. You will fail to grow and reach your full potential. Fail to reach maturity if you just stay on the sidelines. Now, many of you know this because you've experienced it. There are things that you learn by doing ministry that you cannot learn otherwise. Right? I think about my life. I've learned the most by doing ministry. There are things that I've learned in my years of preaching and pastoring that I would have never learned if I'd have said no to God many years ago. 
Even before ministry, I experienced that truth because I remember all the way back when I was in middle school, there was a time where they asked me to teach my own middle school class. I was teaching my my classmates, right? And I'm going to tell you what, in that time, God was teaching me and I learned things then that still apply to my life today as I now preach, right? I learned through doing it. I remember several years ago, some of you recognize the name Stanley Wingard. Stanley Wingard grew up here as a, 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 as a boy and then into a teenage years. And I remember when he was in college, right? and when he was in college, he was struggling with so many different things in life. And he would come and talk to him about some things. And one time in this period, we were getting ready to go to a mission trip to Poland. And God impressed upon my heart to ask Stanley to go to Poland. And so I looked at Stanley and said, have you ever thought about going to Poland? And he said, not really, but... He went, he thought about it, and he came back and said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Well, if y'all know Stanley Wingard, what God did by Stanley saying, yes, I'm going to go on a mission trip with the church to Poland, God did such a work in his heart that today Stanley is in New Mexico working on a college campus with international students, reaching them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it happened, why? Because he said, yes, I'll go and I'll do. And God did a work in his heart that he probably never guessed. Now, some of you are going to look and say, well, now, now, Brother Scott, you're scaring me because you're telling me if I go and start doing ministry, God's going to call me into full-time ministry, right? That's not what I'm saying because breaking newsflash, if you're a believer here, you want to know something? Breaking newsflash, you're already in the ministry. God has already called you. You're already there. The question is, are you just simply doing what he's asked you to do? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines? And I'm just going to simply say, if you just sit on the sidelines and don't do your ministry, you will never mature as you should. If you want to mature, you must do ministry. And when you do your part, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church grows as you grows. The church matures as you mature. So I got to close. So let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. Do you need to grow up? Do you need to grow up? Uh, I'll go ahead and answer that question. The, an- the answer is yes. Right. And, and if I had a mirror here, I'd be looking at myself. Do you need to grow up? Oh, yes, I do. I got a long ways to go, right? I got to. So how do you need to grow today? Do you need to grow in the way you're walking today? Do you need to walk worthier more worthy, that's better, right? It's better English. More worthy of the calling that God has on your life today. Do you need to understand Jesus died for me and because of that, th- th- there's a way I need to be living and so today I'm gonna live worthy of Christ. Let that be your challenge today. Just, just leave here l- walking worthy of him. Do you need to pursue unity? Are you a person who looks and says, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just always ready to pick a fight with somebody who doesn't agree with me or I'm not gonna deal with people who are not like me. Do you need instead to say, look, maybe there's something I can learn from somebody who sees things different than me. Because maybe you need to learn from them or maybe they need to learn from you. But if you never pursue unity, you'll never know who needs to learn what, right? But as we pursue that unity and we kind of rub each other, we'll sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Do you need to pursue unity? Or how about today ministry? Do you need to get involved? Maybe the day today is some of you step up and say, you know what? I've been on the side long too long. All I've ever been doing is I've just been coming to church. I've been sitting in a pew. I've been listening to sermons. I've, been, I've even been giving my tithe. I've been doing all that, but I've not been involved. It's a day today you step up and say, you know what? I'm ready to find my place because I want to mature. And I understand today I'm only going to mature as I do ministry and I'm ready to go. Do you need to grow up today? Yes. How's God calling you to grow up this morning? We're going to go to invitation. 
And maybe in this invitation, I don't know the need. Some of you need to come and give your life to Jesus Christ because you can't start to grow until you've been born. And some of you need to be born into the faith today by giving your life to Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful today that God offers that to us by faith. So if you'll just recognize what Jesus has done for you and place your faith in him, God's ready to meet you here, forgive you of your sin, and give you eternal life. Some of you need to come born, this, be born. If that's you this morning, come. Others, you need to mature in one of these ways we talked about. So maybe you just want to come to the altar and say, God, help me. Help me to grow in this way, Lord. Help me to mature in my faith that you say, God, I'm open. Show me. I'm ready. God, I'm yours. I'm ready to serve. What is your need this morning as we have this invitation time? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you today, once again, we're just thankful to be in this place and worshiping you, having the opportunity to hear your word. As I know in some places around the world today, Father, it would be illegal for them to even open up this word and to look into it. But Father, today, as we've had this great privilege, my prayer is now that you'd speak to our hearts, show us our need. And I'm sure they're varied this morning, and I'm sure the needs of people that they have today, some of them are not even in what I touched on in this message. But Father, as we have this invitation, would you speak to every heart and may decisions be made for you. And may even some this morning say, yes, I'm ready to mature in Christ. Whatever that means, whether, again, that's to walk worthy of you, whether that's to pursue unity, or whether it's to do ministry, I pray, Father, folks will step up and say, I'm ready to mature in Christ. So bless this time, Father, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name.